Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Like it's yeah. just that's all that it is. We've all agreed. Well, that's uh, like, I feel like that's pretty universally agreed. Upon. I'm a humanist first, right? <laughs> And I'm trying to protect as many human lives I'm as possible. I'm pretty sure. I'm you know, you know, at the end point of these disenfranchised young yeah. men, they go, they get a gun, they do whatever. You know, so what let I mean? them fuck the animal. Okay. I'm, not even say, I'm not even seeing let. You know, just whatever you could get away with. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> wait a second. It could be but first base. Maybe, it could be maybe, second. I don't know. Maybe that might solve their problems in in a, in a sense. I don't yeah. know. Hey. We saw what Tom Green did with an animal and Freddy got fingered. There are more, you know, uh, interesting ways to uh, entangle your flesh with that of the beast than uh, pure vaginal penetration. Welcome to Extended Clip. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And joining us on the couch once again, returning champion, uh, cue cue up his music, uh, five-time, maybe six-time returning champion uh, in this corner, weighing a good, you know, I'm going to say 185 or so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably, probably, yeah. Not, that's in, closer, in the blue that's shorts. closer than I'd like it to be. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> We're going Russillo uh, life advice style when we introduce <laughs> guests. You have to say your gym stats, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Coming on the pod, uh, 5'10", 185, maxes out about a 300 deadlift, I'm going to say. Yep. Uh, five-time returning champion, Rob Franco. Hey, now. Now, is Rob the most? I mean, it's between him and Swen. I yeah. would say in our whack pack, like Swen is probably oh, not, no, 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 no. Part of the I am whack not pack. whack pack. How dare you? I'm, I <laughs> no, am, no. I am already before he got the permanent job. All yeah. right, I'm a floater. <laughs> I come yeah, in no. when you need the heavy. <laughs> exactly. None of our guests are whack. Let's just well, say that. Uh, first uh, no, there, there are, there are a couple <laughs> well, former well, friends of the well, show. Okay, right, okay, right, okay, right. okay. All right, pal. <laughs> Edit so, point right here. Gah, yeah. Gah. <laughs> <laughs> Rob loaded the clip today, yeah. and you know it's fine. We got to we got to let it out sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes that's what it's all about. Uh, Rob brought a couple of movies on this week because that's the premise of the podcast. That's kind of how we do things here. Uh, one of them is Bambi. Uh, you know who cares who directed it? Produced by Walt Disney from 1940. Two. The other one is directed by uh, Theo Angelopoulos from 1998, and it is called Eternity in a Day. Now, I want to get to Angelopoulos later for our timeline B as we uh, move backwards past Y2K into the 90s and do our, one of our sweet spots of cinema, the 1990s. But first, for our A movie, Bambi, I wanted to talk, really, I wanted to listen. I wanted to let Rob Ooh. go off on a concept that he has talked about many times, which is kind of like diametrically opposed to something I say in a negative aspect all the time about going baby mode and watching movies that are made for babies. Now, you at least embrace this. And when you watch a youth movie, a a children's (laughs) movie, you're not afraid to say it's for babies. And that, 
I, I, I that I appreciate in comparison to the people who watch, you know, Marvel movies and stuff like that and deny that they're for babies. Same thing. Bambi, Captain America, third soldier or whatever. Well, so so there there are two kinds of uh, baby mode movies. Okay. Right? There are ones that I, I consider to have actual artistic merit. Uh, Bambi, I would I would say, is in that category. And then, like, I like to sometimes, yeah, get hammered and watch Finding Nemo. That's yeah. a, like drink as many beers as I can and then pass out as fucking yeah. Dory can't remember her name. I got Earl. Rob, <laughs> I let me let me tell you about another level of baby mode. You're yeah. probably <laughs> not even on yet. <laughs> Peppa Pig. Yeah. I, no, that, no, that no, I refuse, no. Yeah, it, I won't gets, get there. It gets even worse than that. I <laughs> I I once uh, knew knew a guy. I'd go hang out at his house sometimes, <laughs> and I remember me and my friend David, you know, came there, and he was watching. Was it the David who lives in this apartment? Yeah, the David who lives here. Uh, we we watched saw this guy watching like baby uh like baby videos on YouTube where it's just like bright colors <laughs> and it's like it's like it's like baby sensory videos to get them thinking about like colors All right. and numbers. Well, it sounds but like no, but that's being like being a little ableist. I'm sure there's more going on there. <laughs> Uh, but let's, um, just there's so many levels of baby mode. Yeah, you know? there are. There yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. You're right. And you know, in on this podcast, a long running uh, theme of ours, a long passion of ours, has been the youth of America. Oh, you know, yeah. extended <laughs> clip is for the children. It's for the children. <laughs> we care so much about the burgeoning youth of America and only America. Uh, Grade and, school, high school, all of it. Yeah. All. Oh, <laughs> I'm going before grade school for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> so why is it that you feel like going baby mode sometimes though rob as we are all we're all cinephiles we've all been through the ringer of film school and you know going to rep houses and going to all the new releases and receding to classics and all of that stuff what what is it about like just like watching movies that are for kids whether or not they're the artistic merit type or the comfort type that kind of like what what why because it's easy it doesn't yeah. it doesn't take much brain power it's a, mm-hmm. it's a similar uh, motivation behind like what what I want to watch something but I don't want to think that hard about it I'll throw on a dumb action movie yeah and yeah. obviously yeah there there's a spectrum of the quality and then sometimes you just like good schlock like I just watched the equalizer movies not particularly good for action movies but I enjoyed the hell out of them uh, not the hell out of it. I enjoyed them enough. So you know. it's in in a way, kind of what you're doing is you have such a deep respect for the the great movies, the movies that require yeah, you know, that, like this, like I, the, yeah. I can't I can't handle like and we'll we'll jump to Angelopoulos later, but he's one of those guys. Certain people when they discover a filmmaker they really love, they want to bang them out one after another after another. I am not, for the most part, one of those guys. Like, certain people who I love a lot, like Cassavetes, Angelopoulos, I try to take them slow. Yeah. Because why rush something that that takes so much brain power and appreciation? No, I feel the same exact way. There's And there's also directors that take a lot of brain power as it were but are easy to binge as sure. well like i went on my runs with whether it's soderbergh or hong sang su yeah. no, and there the, are yeah, some fincher those yeah guys. there's some people that are just like beckoning you to do it uh, and, but then tarkovsky is a great example of someone who that was one of the that was probably the first art house director i really got into sure first outside of american Same. director it, it took me five years to watch his whatever eight movies that he has absolutely. because i wanted to go so 
slowly because Stalker and Rublev made such an impact on me when I first watched them that I was like, I'm going to wait like four years to watch Nostalgia. Yeah, so I and I have a similar experience with Tarkovsky like that. I discovered him in college and I watched... I He doesn't have that big of a filmography, so I watched about 70% of it right off the bat and I still haven't seen Nostalgia or uh, Rublev. And I'm, oh, wow. sa- I, I'm saving those for a rainy day. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when when I get to them, I will get to them. And I'm glad you brought up Tarkovsky because there are moments in Bambi that <laughs> made that made me recall Tarkovsky. Well, there is the fetishization of nature, yeah. and I, I think mean, that there's like uh, we, and that's a great place to start yeah. with Bambi. Is the opening shot after the opening title cards is like interplaying miniature greens mm-hmm. uh, with this background that's changing and slowly kind of fading into the animation style that you'll see for the rest of the movie. But this kind of like interplay of different textures and animation and background styles for that opening shot is really awesome and yeah. a really good way to just like, I, I hate to be so basic about it, but like get a couple real leaves on the screen, you know, yeah, like, sure. like let's get some real branches on the screen at first to help you kind of transition into this, which is going to be a film about living in the forest. Yeah. It's, it's just it's a film day, about being in nature and being with your animal buddies. It's 2d animation, but somehow these shots are layered in a way that technology's only gotten better. And we, we don't see that shit anymore. No, no. no I mean, you look at the opening that. credits, the, they run for as long as, you know, a standard Hollywood movie does, but, like, there's no, none of the normal departments. It's all animators. There are so many animators working on this movie. Sequence directors. There are, like, you know, so so the work gets divvied up in a way that, like, you know, you have all hands on deck, all these people directing individual sequences of it. But, of course, that only leads the producer to be the real auteur here. This is, is it like the seventh Disney movie or the fifth Disney animated movie or something like that? I remember it was going to be the second one, apparently. And then it took so long, Disney was just like, we got to really dig our heels into this. Apparently, uh they set up a little zoo at the fucking animation studio. Really? Like, it started with the animators taking daily trips to the LA Zoo. They're like, incredible. let's just get a couple of these guys over here. Was- <laughs> and they were just, like, watching the motion. Just, oh. like, taking, you know, drawing the motion as they saw it and just really getting detailed because literally it was just the fact that you couldn't animate deers that smoothly uh, when they first wanted to start this is what held them back. It sounds like they, it was like a reverse avatar where it's like yeah. they acted, you know, acted everything out and they just drew it. You know? But it's also similar to avatar sure. too, in the sense that you have this guy making these huge commercial movies, but also knowing that, Hey, the, the artistry isn't going to be there right now. We have to wait until the technology is going to match the artistry. And they waited however long it took. 1942 is when the movie finally came out and yeah look it's like uh, what can you say it's freaking bambi yeah no i feel like the avatar comparison in like another way i feel is apt because so much of this movie and i mean i want to get into like sort of the discussion of like disney animation versus looney tunes because i feel like we're all definitely more like looney tunes boys here but that Disney animation, I feel like, is more the, like, lends itself more to just, like, beautiful uh, animation set to, like, musical sequences and musical numbers. And there's a lot of that in Bambi that's, like, those dialogue-free sequences 
of just sort of things in nature happening or or cute little woodland friends scurrying around or sometimes like i don't know like the the more intense and like the darker sequence in in this like things happening there but i feel like there is a lot of this film that like does feel like the avatar 2 like communing with the whale like a lot of this here is just like the plot ele- like plot element of this is mostly just watching bambi get older and like take his place in like the the order of nature and it does sort of have this like i don't know lyrical or poetic quality to it where it's just like you're just a lot of the movie is hangout and a lot of it is uh chilling uh well so yeah that that's a perfect segue because i think the the big moment that makes this transcend from being like a movie for babies and a true piece of art because for me part of why i love this movie so much is it, it its aesthetic quality is no different for me than like staring at a painting for really long um, there, there's something that happens when, when you watch these things, you transcend time and the, uh, the April shower sequence, that's a five minute sequence, mm-hmm. right? That is so long for a, a movie for babies. Yeah. And, and half of it is just watching water drip down from leaves. And it's the best part of the it's movie. It's incredible. Yeah. It's so, it's so moving. And, uh, yeah, the, and, and, Obviously, the surface level thing for us in that is to understand the passage of time, um, but we're also we're also understanding the the poetry of it by just the visuals alone, and it's easy for a kid to understand. Uh, I don't know where I lost I lost yeah. it I lost it. <laughs> well, it, you know it's interesting. Pick you know, it up, Malcolm. At this being pick, like pick a, it up, dude. Goddamn, like a baby movie, or that, that's how we're framing it, or whatever. Yeah. It is like. You know, we were talking about technology and advancements. Probably, you know, for animation movies, probably the most, you know, for probably the biggest animation movie at the time, right? I mean, I can't, I didn't do my research. Uh, so I don't Fantasia know. was before this, but like, yeah, it, but, but this is like, like the each big, Disney was the sure, biggest, the one. biggest sure. scale yeah, yeah. in which anime. So it's you know, these animators they're trying to give what they got, trying to show off their their chops and trying to, you know, uh, progress the the art. You know what I mean? Even you know whether it be for children or not. So yeah, the stuff like the different textures and you know the you know the beautiful presentation of nature you know through animation and kind of you know maybe a couple more expressionistic uh, flares you know peppered in here and there it is you know you really can see you know this is a very artisan handcrafted product when it comes to animation you know compared to like you know garbage 3d animation sure. that we see now and you know, I I I don't watch you know. Not, I'm not trying to brag. I don't watch a lot of baby movies. Yeah. You know what I mean. But and so, it was it was kind of getting that kind of nostalgia plunge. For, I didn't watch this when I was a kid, but just kind of the subjects at hand that are going on here, kind of like such as you know Bambi kind of learning the life lessons that he has to go through, how to jump over the log, how to hang out with kids. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It how kinda, to not fall in love. I love when yeah. the owl is like, hey. They'll 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 ruin your life. Yeah, how to how to uh, um, not lead on a gay skunk. But um, uh, true. <laughs> Wait, can I tell you my, my favorite? Why do you think they call him Thumper? Well, no, no that's, that's the no, that's the, that's the, the oh, yeah, 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 sorry. sorry. Can, can I just tell you my favorite riff uh, about flowers? Because like, so yeah. I first uh, I <laughs> yeah, first rewatched this. Yeah, yeah. I first rewatched this movie a year ago, like when I was trying to rediscover these. Disney like classic movies. I think the first one I watched 
was Sleeping Beauty. Um, and I was like, wow, this is kind of incredible. And I want to revisit these classic movies because there's, there's something there, right? So I revisited Bambi for the first time since I, ca- I can't even remember watching the full thing as a kid. Like, I, conf- I would always confuse it with, like, the fox and the hound because I know both are animals. Both have someone, it gets sad at some point, you know. So then Flower gets introduced. And even for, like, a little little kid animal, <laughs> Flower's got, like, a girly voice. And yeah. uh, Bambi is learning words, and he learns the word flower, and then he sees the skunk, and he calls the skunk flower. And Thumper's like, no, that's that's not a flower. And Flower goes, you can call me flower. I don't mind. <laughs> so I always thought Flower <laughs> was, like, a girl. And then they grow up. Yeah, and then and they get older voices, and then I love when Flower comes in. He's like, "Hey, how you doing, baby? I'm Flower." I just thought that was so funny. Well, <laughs> yeah, towards you know towards the end, there's like kind of like this thing where like Thumper, Bambi, and Flower they all kind of get girls. They all get yeah. they get yeah. girl Flower, yeah, yeah. He, girl Thumper, and girl Bambi. Yeah, and and then fucking Flower names his kid. Bambi after his boy, which hell yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's pimp. but it, it just goes to show you some of the dudes you think are gay, they're cleaning up the most, right? Yeah. Well, that's he, he was the first one. Flower, flower is the first one to get pussy because the owl gives them the the owl gives them the advice. Look, dude, they'll they'll ruin your life, and they they all agree. Okay, we won't get mixed that up. Owl with that don't shit. Know shit, bro. And then flower sees a nice little piece of pussy, and then is like, all right, boys, come on. He gives his boys a look. There is a beat where he's like. <laughs> I got it. Look at this. Look at this girl. Girl skunk. And, Look at uh, this girl skunk. Yeah. <laughs> so he, I'm all about to he, get up in that scussy. <laughs> that scussy, dude. Flower was cleaning up. Yeah. No life. Lot of you know a life lesson learned. You know what I mean? It's okay. And then, and then for your boy that, not to that, hang out with that you as long made as he's... Bambi and Thumper be like, all right, I guess, I guess it's cool. <laughs> I guess it is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk more about animation uh, versus Warner Brothers because JT brought that up and I was thinking about it. And it's like, you know, you have your 40s animation, uh, the the big hitters. You have your big Disney features and you have your short subject animation that plays before movies at a lot of theaters. And Warner Brothers kind of leading the charge in the short subject animation uh, with the Looney Tunes, the Merry Melodies. You know, you got uh, tours in there like uh, Chuck Jones and the like. Uh, even people who would go on to be live action auteurs like Tashlin uh, transferring their loony skills to the uh, silver screen, uh, you know, making great movies like uh, Will Success Boyle Rock Hunter and stuff like that, which clearly, you know, the, the lineage from Looney Tunes to that is very clear. So... What is the difference? Because this one, I don't know, the the animation feels more lavish, more masterful even. Uh, but I think I'm more drawn to Looney Tunes because it's just more like vulgar oh, and yeah. more just like oh, yeah. violent. And like the sensibility is not nearly as clean cut. But the thing is that that sincerity in the sensibility of a Disney movie when it's firing on all cylinders in the original Disney animation films it's pretty overpowering. It's like the 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 pathos that this movie emits is like kind of insane for a kids movie. Yeah. Do you know how many fucking kids went vegetarian because they saw Bambi's mom get domed? <laughs> Bro. Paul McCartney. 
dude. Yeah, Paul yeah. McCartney well, it, credits that. He's, he's, like, he's vegan because of Bambi, dude. Wait. Same with... Uh, uh, but I'll, I'll cut that out. I don't like my personal life. Yeah, yeah. Being oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm a private man. I'm a but private no, five citizen. minutes of jacking off talk and bestiality are in. Yeah, you're gonna probably leave in that shit about you know I said before. So. Yeah. No, but I, I think that and like the message of just conservationism too. It's like the the enemy of the film is man, and it's because man is killing animals and deforesting basically. And it's like, yeah, it, that's it's just like I. Uh, some pretty pretty intense stuff all communicated through kind of a masterful level of emotional manipulation and i say that as a good thing you know mm-hmm. well, I- uh and like uh it just it works on a different wavelength but maybe i'm just so cynical and detached that i can only have that in small doses so it's like bambi every f- 20 years you know maybe one one disney movie every like five years and it'll actually work for me uh and then the looney tunes just always hits on that short yeah. bursts of chaotic just dirty impulses yeah you know? I, mean, I mean i i i think that that goes back to what we were talking about is like what is easy to just throw on yeah exactly and, and what is easier to throw on than just looney tunes mm-hmm. three stooges simpsons uh the itchy and scratchy equivalent. Yeah. It's it, that. It's that. I and think then, Simpsons is an awesome one to bring up, though, because like there are some episodes that are so sure. zany and dark and crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then you go back and you throw in like season three. The first three discs are all like tearjerkers. Dude, <laughs> like, the, the, one of ridiculous. one of the things that makes me cry the hardest ever is the Simpsons episode where Lisa doesn't want to smile. Oh, that. That's yeah. like, anyway. We don't need to get wrapped Lisa up. Lisa on Simpsons. ice. Lisa on ice yeah, makes me go baby mode. Yeah. That's like. Like the ending of that makes me feel like a child. No, it's, but uh, to, to bring in friend of the show, Quentin Tarantino, have you guys read Cinema Speculation yet? Not yet. It's not on yet. the shelf, but okay. I haven't cracked well, it yet. I brought, I brought my copy just because he has a passage in we the first... We can fir- rub our copies yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, he has a, a passage in the first chapter. His The first chapter of this book is mainly him bragging about like, yeah, when I was eight, I, I loved Deliverance because the guy got raped. <laughs> and he's, like, he's like, I didn't know that's what was happening, but I knew he got humiliated and he did <laughs> like he literally says that and that has been That's his soundbite awesome. when he's been promoting I feel but it. he says he says the one movie that he wasn't able to handle as a kid was Bambi yeah and he says uh, he, uh, one movie I couldn't handle yeah there was Bambi Bambi getting lost from his mother her being shot by the hunter and that horrifying forest fire upset me like nothing else I saw in the movies it wasn't until 1974 when I saw Wes Craven's The Last House on the Left that anything came close. Now, those sequences in Bambi have been fucking up children for decades, but I'm pretty sure I know the reason why Bambi affected me so traumatically. Of course, Bambi losing his mother hits every kid right where they live. But I think even more than the psychological di- dynamics of the story, it was the shock that the film turned so unexpectedly tragic that hit me so hard. And I, I'm i sure that it doesn't get more in-depth than that. But yeah. part of that sequence, after Bambi's mom gets shot, it's him wandering in the cold. And and this cold is so vivid. like you f- It feels cold w- watching this snow imagery. And he's just going around... Asking where it, for his mother, his mother, he's just calling, he's got that cute little Bambi voice, and it makes you want to cry. And it's like a two-minute sequence mm-hmm. where he can't find his fucking mom, and then his dad it, it comes out, and you just, this is the first time you find out 
that the prince of the forest is his dad, he's like, you're coming with me. I'm, I'm going to teach you how to be a man. Yeah. She's dead, Bambi. <laughs> and then it's like, okay. And then. <laughs> yeah, I like how that springtime song is like maybe three minutes after Bambi's mom gets domed. Like, it's like you have a good two minutes of real like contemplation and sadness. And then things kind of speed up pretty yeah. quickly because you have to keep in mind, like, this is a movie for babies. And like, little kids are going to be like so moved in a horrified way. Yeah. Like, they're going to be. Yeah, traumatized by that. They need a nice little song. After I mean, that. it probably affects me more as an adult than it did yeah. as a kid because you really intellectualize the set. Like, I have a thing when I see people cry in movies, mm -hmm. particularly in animated films, like in, in Spirited Away. When she's crying, you probably don't like that shit. I actually uh, haven't seen Spirited Away, but I watched it uh, when I think I was mad that it beat okay. Shrek at, uh, for best animated <laughs> movie wow. as Baby like a nine-year-old. <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck, dude? Shrek's dude, the best dude, movie so ever!" Sick, so I rented it from Blockbuster and I uh, didn't was this finish gay it. Anime bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I didn't finish Amer it. American <laughs> Eddie. Classic. Um, but like, yeah, when when I see she, she, there's a part where she cries and she's these fat tears and that makes that kills me Til, yeah. to this day it's one of the things that most consistently gets uh that affects me in a movie and uh yeah watching people get sad maybe because i'm i'm such a stone wall in my personal mm -hmm. life yeah that gets mm -hmm. me see i'm something of an empath but that's kind of yeah, where we of differ. of course <laughs> yeah uh, that's J where we differ jt i know you're you're kind of the biggest cartoon head of us all here uh, or especially with early animation, what what do you have to say about this and other popular tunes of the time in comparison? Well, like this, I mean, to speak a little bit to like Bambi's mother dying and also the fire, like this is a movie that like I had, like I, I conflated the two together in my mind. Like when I was like rewatching this, I was like, oh, the fire, the, the fire happens and the mother dies in that. But like, in my mind, I was like, this is like the whole, I mean, the fire is a very intense sequence, but I was like the Bambi mom murder is like the most graphic thing in my mind, just because of how much it like fucked me up as a kid. But it like happens like off screen. Like you don't see like, it's like, I don't want to say like, I, I guess like tasteful is an appropriate word there, but like, cause you don't want like the blood and guts spilling out for children, but like it is done very tastefully, but I think just like the pure psychological impact of that, especially because the movie itself is so like cute flowers and fun. Like before that, I uh, like, I don't know. It, it really packs a punch like how like Tarantino says, but again, to sort of like talk about like, the Warner Brothers style versus like Disney sincerity. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just that like I, I do agree that I'm less inclined to visit these Disney movies because of that. And I feel like sometimes in lesser versions, especially like the more they go on, it feels like more and more like bullshit. But I feel like that's because they like, lose the poetic lyrical quality that these early Disney movies have where it's just like more like focused on like the animation and less like about like storytelling. I feel like truly that is like, cause so many like contemporary animated movies, 
like there's that whole like stupid bullshit about like the Pixar method for like how they like craft like all of their stories like there's some like I don't know writer bullshit that I see about that and it's just like dude you're missing the point like kid like you want to overwhelm like kids with the feeling and experience of just like seeing like I I don't know just visual wonder like that really leaves a mark and especially I think the the voice actors in Bambi early on are like kid like when they're like kids it's not like adults playing it it's like children and a lot of it does feel like sort of instructional to a kid I mean instructional mm-hmm. in kind of a conservative way where you're like oh you're gonna grow up you're gonna like find abroad you're gonna like get like basically do the whole like cycle of life hey if finding abroad is conservative call me freaking uh, Newt Gingrich <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it, it's like I, I don't know it, it goes that route and I think that like contemporary contemporary animation by and large shit I feel like because of the visual style of 3D I mean obviously it's a lot of work to do 2D animation and like companies need shit to be pumped out faster and faster so from an economic perspective it simply doesn't work but it's like story driven and like it combines the worst like or i mean not necessarily the worst tendencies but now i think you get that like looney tunes irony mixed with like trying to do disney level sincerity in a lot of like kids movies that just feels like like i don't know as an adult like i really don't care cuz the animation doesn't look interesting and then it's just doing like well that happened kind of bullshit but have you considered the bodies of some of the moms in those movies (laughs) right some of them are kind of stacked yeah well you can you you can search deviant art and i'm the misogynist 20 things better i'm the one that gets yelled at on twitter there's pros and cons yeah no eddie is the king in that um what do you i think it's interesting kind of like this older quality you know that lasted probably until like maybe the 90s in art where like kind of like children's entertainment, sitcom, stuff that would be considered family entertainment has like the stance of kind of like the moral arbiter or whatever. And like, I, I think Bambi's interesting because it does, it gives you that pain. It, it gives you that deep sadness. And there's kind of something interesting of introducing kind of like dark concepts mm-hmm. to children. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you do have to kind of teach children this these kind of bad things because it's going to eventually happen to them in some sort of way, right? So it's kind of interesting that, like, entertainment or, you know, these sitcom episodes where it's, like, the serious episode and you kind of, you know, uh, try to learn anything. And, you know, that quality kind of being gone from modern kids' movies kind of makes them, like, less useful in a way or whatever. They're kind of, like... I mean, obviously, it's just stuff that, you know, you your kid could look at and they won't, you know, leave the TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could go... Uh, you know, smoke a cigarette outside or something like that. But uh, uh, it's uh, it's it's you know, it's very loud. But like, I, I kind of I, I I do kind of like. Hey, kid, watch this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go smoke. And it's just like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a cucumber screaming. You know what I mean? You're like, oh wow, this is good stuff to teach. You know, teach my kids. But uh, I think I think that's that's what makes Bambi so interesting. I think it kind of get it does that pretty well and introduces this idea of loss to children and you know but you know it's funny you know just because watching it with adult eyes or whatever you know close enough 
Um, it's it's kind of like I I, I kind of get a lot of uh, not a wave of sadness, but like the most emotion I feel is kind of like Bambi kind of playing around and kind of learning things for the first time, like him ha- having to learn to like you know jump over that log. It's like or or when he gets confused by his own reflection. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a really moving moment. Totally, I, that stuff is even more moving to me because it I don't know it speaks to kind of like. Uh, you know, just childhood lessons you learn. And like, sure. I remember like almost an exact scenario as a kid where like, you know, you're all climbing rocks and like, I'm like a little scared to like climb over this rock and you're just like, fuck, I got to do it. And like, mm. and you climb over that rock and it's like, it's a, you know, that's, you learn a lot in that. So like, I, I kind of got a more of a punch out of that than maybe even the death. And also kind of like, I never seen, never having seen this before, but of course, no against its impact. I, I always thought like the death was like at the beginning of the movie and then the rest of the movie is kind of like Bambi dealing with it. I don't know why I thought that, but um, I was kind of like anticipating the death and it is kind of interesting that it's like, it's not even, you know, it's definitely, I, I guess, would you even call it the climax of the movie? It's not, it's, it's not even the climax of the movie. No, the it's, climax it, is the fire. Is, the, is yeah. And the it's fight. It's also a weirdly structured yeah, like, yeah, movie yeah, yeah. too, but yeah, I, I, we've I, also I, been kind of talking around the movie instead of like going through the plot, which I kind of like, I, I, yeah. I, I like that, but you do say we got to get to the fight. I think we do because this is also a huge kind of like lesson for the kids or whatever in this movie. It's like. I hate to say, sometimes you gotta show a little dominance to, uh, I mean, you know, uh, make your way. And also, these are animals too, mm. uh, so it's like you're kind of showing it through like the whole cycle. You gotta of life fight thing. for what's yours. That's all you gotta. That's can all you can I go back to what Malcolm was saying? Yeah, really no, I'm setting you up here. Okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll get want. to the fight. But what Malcolm was saying about those little beats of childhood and understanding it to bring it back to another uh, contemporary uh, comparable segment in the film. Uh, Tree of Life. Tree of Life is a film that is so good because it has those little beats that we don't even think about when we're growing up, like like that moment where where the the kid is uh, like they're doing like a weird walk and then they see a disabled guy and then they're like fuck they they feel yeah. bad about it and then I remember I remember one time what's the lesson there I don't think well, I've it yet. It, <laughs> yeah you can you can you figure that one out by yourself but um yeah but, Malcolm by the way what. Why were you walking like that into the studio today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no reason. Uh, and I, I remember one time a- after j- just having revisited the Tree of Life, I was uh, I was doing homework at a coffee shop, and next to the coffee shop was like one of those like trampoline uh, activity centers, and there was a kid going to there with his mom, and they were, they were going inside the building, but he was so excited. Uh, seeing it through the window that rather than just immediately go in, he stopped in front of the window so he could look at it. And it like, I just thought that was so beautiful. And and Bambi is full of those moments that you don't even think about when you're growing up those little, like learning how to walk and talk. And you, you hear the word flower. You think everything is called the flower, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, you get the point to the lessons to the fight. Now, I know you guys aren't necessarily well-versed in contemporary baby films. I barely am. I will occasionally watch one. But when was the last time a fucking baby film was like, we're going to flex? Just artistically flex? because The Lego movie? No, no, no. No, no, because that fight scene... 
they they take the color palette and they totally change it. They, it changes they, from one cut to the next. It's well, crazy. well, yeah, it, it cuts once they start fighting. Yeah, it goes from realism to just this surrealistic. Yeah, the the colors change, the shapes change, the sizes. It's almost it's, comic book esque. It's like the such expressionist colors and ridiculous, sure. just like a. I don't want to say minimalist because there's so much going on, but there'll only be like a couple of colors or a couple of tones in the whole frame. Whereas the naturalism of what led up to it, there was so much more detail. Sure. So many more colors. This one's just like broad strokes of craziness. And so much is played in like shadow and very stark compositions and weird angles. I, and I cannot think of a modern day example of an animated film just using pure artistic visuals to make you feel something like I, re- I really can't think of it. I'm sure there is one or yeah. two, but like, I, th- I guess that kind of speaks to maybe the theory, you know, I had where it's like, you know, I can't confirm this, but it's like, this is like the biggest platform for animation at the time. Probably some of the best animators in the world, possibly working on this movie. Yeah. So they're like, you know, we have to, you know, they they probably ha- they were smart people and they, you know, they showed off their ability and, you know, very artistic, Ways and you know the way you would uh, you know shoot a movie regularly. You have some cool shots, cool shadows, or yeah. whatever. So they they I think they knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. There's there's one shot of the three rabbits. Uh, it's during the storm mm-hmm. uh, from behind them, and it's like masked in a way because they're it, like in a cave, you know, and it's behind them. So they're it, the top and bottom of the frame are kind of masked to where you get this kind of wi- uh, widescreen type shot. And uh, it's just like such a soft focus background kind of thing. And there's just like, it seems like there's more effort put into that one shot than like a lot of live action movies would have had at the time. And I am the biggest proponent of like how good a typical live action 1942 Hollywood movie is going to be. But that one shot looked like it was just like, oh my God, that was the visual impact that many directors wish to seek in a a full sequence, you know? Sure. And, And like it does things with perspective, to use another art term, perspective that that most animated movies don't do like the the end of the April shower sequence it ends with this this kind of crazy like a uh, bird's eye view shot of a puddle and you can see the trees going up you see these beautiful pinks and then the drips of water drip down into the puddle which does like a a, a shock wave what what is the term for that uh, a ripple thank you a ripple and then it it does this fade into the next season and that's just that's incredible. I think, um, Malcolm, is there is there anything as, as we kind of wrap up here because we've been going so long on this one, and I've yeah. been love it. This has been fantastic. We'll talk about Bambi. I like the the places that it's taken us. Yeah. Uh, and I'm being very. I, I sound weird saying that, but I'm being very sincere. Yeah, I'd say that I like how much we've kind of talked around the movie a as bit we, to yeah. kind of because it is I, a movie that like. It'll get. I'll get to it in my rating uh, when I talk about it. But like, it's a movie that made me think about a lot of things that weren't the movie. Yeah. You know. Um, but anyway, go ahead, Malcolm. Uh, final thoughts final on your ratings. No, yeah. I. I How I many was... times are you shooting Bambi's mom? Shooting Bambi's mom. <laughs> well, I, I'm actually. I'm gonna. I'm gonna remake Bambi, and the hunter is a MAGA conservative guy, <laughs> and it's like political commentary about shit. The, the R's, as I like to call them. But. Um, <laughs> The R word. The R's. No, R's. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, got that out. The R. Um, <laughs> no, we're putting it in. We're ample. We're basically <laughs> that part. Dude. Sorry, um, I can't but- take the heat. I've, I've, I've had like a few people come for me this week, and it's just it's hurting my feelings. I think people listen to like the first fifteen minutes. Sure. And then- okay, <laughs> no, no, the real heads people- will appreciate. Fifteen it. minutes is generous. I think people scroll past it on Twitter, yeah. and you know, I it looks ever since those view counts started coming, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. Really? This is a, this is a safe space. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but um uh no yeah I, I i think yeah this i greatly appreciated this you know I, I expected to like it but it's you know it's a little bit out of our haughty intellectual wheelhouse that we like to keep out here on extended clip not quite our metier yeah yeah but i i think that's good and like it uh i don't know i think it, you know kind of you know dosing out the baby movies not watching them all the time it this one really hit you know because it is like that's probably something that's the stuff that's covered in Bambi is probably stuff that's covered in a lot of, you know, coming of age animation movies, you know, life lessons and growing up and all that shit. Um, but I, I, I think that's the thing that grasped me the most aside from, you know, kind of the beautiful old style animation that's just, you know, very well crafted. So I'm going to give this one four bullets. You know, I got I got sympathy for the babies now. You know what I mean? I got no no need to shame the youth anymore. Shout out to the babies. Um, Yeah, I'm going four bullets uh, as well. It is something like, I don't know, I like the discussion we've had about this because it is hard, I feel like, as an adult to judge the merits of, like, entertainment derived for children. I mean, even beyond the realm of... Uh, movies, I feel like there's a lot of like old, like classic, like literature and like stories that are like directed at children that is, I don't know, that can go in the realm of like also being like poetic and like well written. And what Malcolm was talking about early about like being instructional, about like dealing with grief. And I think that it's rewarding, like going back and like viewing this as an adult because it's just like you do see those moments of like just like especially in this like Bambi I feel like you just see a lot of pure like childhood innocence of just like him being like learning things and like being like a a bashful little boy like I remember like I there was a point in this I feel like the most I like felt Bambi was uh when he's like he meets girl bambi and he's like a little shy boy and is like hiding (laughs) behind his mom that was definitely the type of kid that i was and it's just like i don't know look at you now yeah 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 (laughs) a real uh whatever but uh (laughs) real don juan (laughs) um but yeah no you just seeing those moments which i feel like are different than like contemporary children's movies and maybe even like other stuff of this era i'd be more curious to see like i definitely want to explore more classic disney after this but because this is about like depicting childhood too you just get those like weird little moments of like innocence or just like coming of age that i feel like are absent from a lot of uh, other animated work and I mean all of this is just foregoing the fact that like the animation is stunning and just some of the most beautiful work I've ever seen Rob 
our guest. Mm. What about you? Why? Are you, any final thoughts on going baby mode yeah. before we move on from this segment? And give a rating to your childhood sure. as well. Ooh, <laughs> I like this. <laughs> I, I had a good childhood, so uh, nice. I, it, I'm not gonna rate it. I'm not gonna rate it. Not gonna rate it. <laughs> you don't want your parents <laughs> hearing this. Yeah. It's a heart. Got a yeah, heart. They listen. They do listen. So f- first of all, I want I want to say uh, how happy I I am. Pleasantly surprised how much you guys seem to like it. I thought JT would be, you know, I was confident he would be into it a little bit. And then Malcolm, I thought, would have an open heart. Big old Eddie the Grinch, I was worried about. I know, like, even adult animated movies, I know you struggle with sometimes. Sausage Party. Uh, well, I rolled out opening weekend for Sausage Party. Are you are you pro Sausage Party? No, I'm okay, just saying good. that I watched it at 11 a.m. Saturday the weekend it opened. He supported it. So, that, so that but... Um, <laughs> it, and going into this, like, I... It's very possible this will be my last uh, extended clip episode, unless we do a bonus where we get hammered and watch Husbands, which we should Ooh. do. Um, I wanted it to be my best appearance ever, and so I'm glad you guys liked it. I think we had a good discussion, and ba 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 five bullets, bitch! Wow. Um, uh, we could do more episodes. Well, I don't know. Why are I thought the podcast one? was going to end again, like Jordan. So I don't know. I don't like know. Jordan. If, oh my God, Mike Michael Jordan kept leaving. Oh, fuck God, I was just saying I wanted it to be good, Eddie. So was this season like us playing baseball? I thought I thought you guys were doing the final run. I thought that's what oh, the, so we're coming I back you were from doing baseball. What, I thought this. I thought your fuck when you guys gave up on the clip or quit the clip. And then you came back. Yeah, I thought we played it was like, baseball for a I year. I thought it was like one last job. I that thought is, that, I, is I how thought that was, was the premise. It was, how kind, it, was it was kind of framed like that. But then we kind of like already kind of started adding more things we wanted right. to do. Okay. And it's just like, I don't know. Who it's, knows? It's, it's, who knows? Okay. But like, yeah, you, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't want to uh, end your show for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We might as well. You know, we, we, some of our guests for the future not exactly locked in with us planning wise uh, maybe this is the last episode no. <laughs> oh jesus uh, anyway five bullets bambi one of the greatest animated films of all time um so here's what i'm gonna do and it would be fitting if this was the last episode because i'm gonna do something unprecedented here uh, uh, and i'm not pussyfooting this is by this is i'm just getting this it, so you're in not, ahead of time. You're, you're not a pussy for doing this. Okay, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as Fripp and Eno said on their album, as it was titled, "No Pussy Footing." Um, I can't rate Bambi. I, I can't give it a rating uh, because I don't want to shoot his mom. <laughs> uh, no, I. I, I <laughs> true, the rating. <laughs> that, 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 that you, you guys have shot Bambi's mom Whoa. a collective Man. seventeen times. Man. I can't do math. That is the, thirteen the, times. That's that not is, yeah, no. That is the equivalent, <laughs> Eddie. That is the equivalent of uh, of Ebert. That's your version of the Ebert review for the uh, Human Centipede, where he refuses to give a star rating. He goes, was it a good movie? Was it a bad movie? It is what it is, and it exists in the world where the stars don't shine. That's you with not wanting to shoot Bambi's mom. Why did he watch the Human Centipede? That's also very similar to his review of Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. Damn. Uh, so a- anyway, anyway, let me get back into this yeah, though. Yeah, it's sorry. not because of that. It, that's you know yeah. silly. Um, it's because a lot of the reason that I wanted to talk around this is because like 
I did have trouble engaging with it on a basic level. But then every time I kind of like got sidetracked, it was because of something that the movie sparked in me, of course. Uh, and I found myself getting emotional a couple times that like children are going to watch this. You know, it, it made me very happy. It made me very happy that, look, I don't have children, but I have uh, a, a niece and a couple nephews. And, uh, you know, got sperm. Yeah. And, the, and look, this was actually the first. Uh, hey, hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Uh, th- this was the first film I had ever uh, watched on my own on Disney Plus. Uh, I wanted to get into the full baby mode experience. And so if, if Disney Plus, if they're if baby mode, you know, if the niece and nephs are uh, doing Disney Plus night and they, and they stumble upon Bambi, I'm, I'm really happy that of all the sinister things that the Disney Corp has done over the years, that that is something that can happen at an impressionable age. This is a movie that has legitimate artistic merit, but I, I think it's one of those movies where it's like the actual human impact is unspeakable. There's so many people who this had a profound impact on. Um, and like, I, I think that it's such an important thing that it just, uh, you know, goes back to extended clip caring about the youth of America. Oh, of uh, so I get for the first time on extended clip, I give, and maybe for the first time ever on letterboxd, uh, Damn. for logging a movie, I just give this one a heart. I love, I love, I have a lot of love for Bambi. Beautiful. It's all love. It's all that's, love, that's baby. All as the great about. Bernie Mac once said. <laughs> And there's a thin line between love and hate. I might not want to shoot Bambi's mom, but that punk ass little fawn is going to get it. (laughs) You want to shoot Bambi? Bambi. (laughs) Wow. You want his. I'm joking. You want his his deer girl or something? Whoa. (laughs) Um, We will be back on Extended Clip. Thank you for going baby mode with us. That's awesome. Kyrie Irving's probably one of my favorite people to talk about in public. Yeah. (laughs) I love his handles. I just talk about his finishing ability. Yeah, his finishing packages. That's why I talk about. That's why I talk about Malcolm. His finishing ability is fire. Yeah, Malcolm's finishing near the rim is. uh, (laughs) No, I meant. I was talking about his blowing loads. Yeah, I'm also talking about uh, near the rim. Oh, there you you go. Yeah, yeah. I I prefer it on my face, but. Every aspect. Well, according to cleaning the glass, Malcolm. (laughs) (laughs) 
I wish I had a basketball <laughs> reference where cleaning the glass is a uh, a basketball like uh, analytics uh, reference website. So according to cleaning the glass, Malcolm's uh, cum rating is <laughs> I wish at I- an all time viscosity high. His, his viscosity efficiency is out of this world. I wish every person <laughs> in this universe had like a stat page yeah. you could go to. You know what I mean? Reference like, page. Yeah, yeah, that would be that'd be sick. Yeah, dude, my basketball reference page is sick. And then I get into you get into like fantasy people or whatever and you draft people <laughs> drafting people that's that's For bill success. simmons shit dude every every other bill simmons episode is like a draft and yeah. it's just like they don't need to be drafts it's yeah. just like we're gonna draft the most interesting storylines of the last month it's like you could just say what they are yeah why yeah. why does it need to be a, a snake draft well competition no that'd be funny to like pitch like, we should do a we should do a draft. You should do a, a, a crew draft. Like we're drafting like directors, DPs, actors, Ooh. like a screenwriter to make the ultimate movie. We should ring a podcast. That would be sick. <laughs> if we just went full like just doing drafts and like top fives and like uh, <laughs> I want to draft Oscars my- redraft, Oscars revotables. You know, life and like resources should be left up to like drafting and like general managing decisions. <laughs> And doing trades, yeah. <laughs> the potential birth of my my firstborn son, I trade to you for my. <laughs> yeah, I'm trading picks <laughs> for my kid. If yeah, future. If I have a kid, you get to have it in the future. My fantasy people team, honestly, is pretty fire. <laughs> you gotta get, you know, you gotta get that uh, ten to twelve value. You gotta go last in the first round to get that turnaround. This is like this is so high concept that we could sell this to Bill Simmons as like a metaverse, <laughs> like new technology thing, where it's like, what if you turned your whole life into fantasy sports? <laughs> And there'd be plenty of people lining up. Can waiting. you gamble on it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> gamble. Can you place ridiculous wagers on it? Exactly. <laughs> on one. Oh boy, uh, we are cooking on extended clip. We're back here on everybody's favorite segment, Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's life treating you this week? It's it's good. It's all right. All right, fine. Uh, good enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't need to get into it at all. <laughs> wrapping up timeline A where we were going baby mode, uh, we forget there are also live action movies. Um, JT, did you have one you wanted to talk about from 1943, perhaps? Oh, absolutely, I did. I wanted to talk about, and I feel like, there's a good chance I talked about this on the podcast before, after I had first seen it. Uh, but it's Busby Berkeley's uh, "The Gang's All Here," and I'm not like the most uh, familiar with uh, I don't know, like old Hollywood like musicals and Berkeley in general. But I know that like he works predominantly as like a choreographer and like. The, the this movie is just like held together by just badass like insanely extravagant uh musical sequences um most of the plot i feel like is uh completely inessential and you just get i i, I don't know it has that like i feel like what we talked about a few weeks ago with uh hells of pop and it kind of is on a similar wavelength uh, to that. And you get like a whole bunch of uh, like in the supporting cast that sort of fills it out. You get a lot of the great like sort of 
40s like character types of like wealthy dowager like things of that nature there's a lot of fun going on there and like that's just intertwined with uh i don't know just some of the craziest like just expressionistic visual sequences um and yeah i love the gangs all here gangs all here awesome movie only seen it on dvd i need uh we got to get a screening of that going. We got to we got to fix that. That's an awesome movie. I uh, also wanted to shout out real quick to put a cap on baby mode. 1943 Frank Tashlin Looney Tune Puss and Booty. It's quite quite uh, cheeky. I don't know that I've seen that one. It's quite cheeky. It's like a uh, it's like a proto Sylvester and Tweety. Mm. Um, but it's it's whatever you know. It's a, it's a good one, but it's like ta- Tashlin. You know, he had better. Um, but for 1944. Moving on, wanted to talk about a little underrated noir by uh, Edward Dimitrik called Murder My Sweet. This is a Philip Marlowe movie starring Dick Powell, uh, and Dimitrik's direction is really good and stylish, and I feel like it's like uh, probably the best example for noir as like urban uh, alienation, um, like the the expressionistic way that he shoots the city at night and the way Marlowe gets lost in it. It's really beautiful. There's a great dream sequence in it. It really lives and dies on how much you like Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe because it's kind of an iffy performance. Uh, but the movie around it is like awesome. It just kind of like it's he's not fucking, you know, Bogart. Well, <laughs> is, it, is this the first Marlowe movie? Because Big Sleep is 46. This is 44. Yeah. You know what? You might be right because I, I, I always thought uh, Big Sleep was the first one, but now no, 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 no. Uh, I, I but there was another. I think there was another classic Hollywood one. That's the thing. Uh, so anyway, Murder My Sweet. Yeah, uh, I would check it out. Uh, Big Sleep, obviously, uh, to to continue ringerifying the podcast. Big Sleep market corrected. Uh, you know, Murder My Sweet. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, Murder My Sweet is awesome, and, and like that's the underrated forty four noir because forty four you have fucking to have and have not Laura and fucking Double Indemnity. Are you kidding me? Big hitters. Uh, the, these are huge movies, and uh, you know they have the right to be huge. Also, Bluebeard by Edgar G. Ulmer is a fun one. Also. I enjoyed the new Marlowe movie for what it's worth. I, I got to check that out. I, Neil I, Jordan yeah. Marlowe. Yeah, I, I thought it was really good. It's getting the reviews are super negative. Like Our old really friend bad. Liam Neeson. Yeah, no Neeson. Neeson. This is the best Neeson's been in years. But um, wow, um, hell yeah, even better than Jean Claude Sarah Neeson. Uh, it's a different flavor, but I, okay. to be honest, I think this tickles me a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I think I think those movies. Well, Malcolm's are, AMC A list yeah, corner yeah, coming just back. Very, just very quick, but like the. Sarah movies, it's like, I like Neeson's performances in that, but it's not necessarily what, um, I don't know. I like the sleepiness, the kind of, I like old Marlowe. Um, but, you know, we're, we're on timelines here. It's not 2023, it's 1996. Oh, we are on now timeline B, 1996. Yeah. And uh, I'm bringing, we've done like seven movies from 96 on the podcast historically, just a fun little shout out. But um, I'm picking The Dentist, directed by Brian Yunza. And I, I, I'm picking it because it's maybe just the freshest in my mind, but I, I really enjoyed it. And Yunza, he kind of comes from that Stort Gordon world of horror. And uh, I think The Dentist is great. It kind of feel it has, it's a West LA horror movie about, um, you know, Corbin Burnson is this very like health obsessed dentist or whatever. And he, he's, uh, 
you know, he finds his wife sucking off the pool boy, you know, when he's going off to work and it kind of leads him down a mental path where, you know, he's killing his pe- people or he's, you know, he's trying to kill people and he's torturing his patients. And uh, I, I just think there's just such a great sense of humor to all this that, you know, I think you could find in a lot of like Stuart Gordon, Yunza movies, Yunza did a lot of screenwriting. And uh, the the lead performance is great. I, I you know I, I like Corbin Burns. I remember growing up and enjoying the show Psych. And Corbin Burnson had a, a small. I love, I, I'm a, a big Psych. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, both of you guys. Yeah, dude. I, what, you guys are big USA Network. Uh, monk, Monk, and Psych, baby. I, I, Classic. I, I to be. I I, I want to join you monk. in Monk. I as a kid. Monk was a little too heady, square for me. You know what I mean? Oh, square. Okay. Well, like I like Psych. You know the the, the kind of the lead you love guy. the snappy dialogue, yeah, the snarkiness. Were you also, guys also watching Suits? No, I wasn't watching. You know what's the const? Do you know what the? I'll I'll drop this quick. But Please. do you know what the the conceit of Psych is, Eddie? No. It's about a guy who has like a super great memory. Like it makes him a great detective, to the point where like people think like he's a clairvoyant. But he's well, not. I mean, he's, he's just a, he's just a he fake. He just has a good memory. He's what every psychic is. Yeah. Yeah, basically. but but like the shtick isn't the shtick of the show that he's not a psychic and everyone everyone thinks he's some great swami, but he's just like no. They super think smart. he's a, they a think swami? he's a yeah. They think he's a psychic. I mean, yeah. The shtick is what every great psychic in the real world is, which is they're just hyper observant and are able to be like, is your uncle named Jeff? Even though yeah. they see on your phone that you were texting Uncle Jeff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I like Psych set in Santa Barbara. I like that too. But um, the right, dentist, let's get off the, psych. the dentist. <laughs> the dentist has some has some great punctuation of gore. It does take you to that dentist chair, uncomfortable place where he's doing fun stuff with the teeth. He's like, imagine a dentist just has has you pinned down in the chair. He's taking a blade and he's just fucking up like the you know your teeth like chipping into them. It's a uh, it's some pretty. It, it accesses some horror points that I haven't quite felt before that are very dental specific and I, you know, uses its conceit to great use. So, yeah, the dentist. Rob, you're in 97. Why don't you give us a taste of what the movies of 97 were and what, what movie did you choose? Well, so 97, great year. Got a lot of favorites in this oh my year. God, yeah. We could go. My, my best my, of list goes like 20 deep. Yeah, no. Uh, like we could go my, my brother, one of my idols howard stern's private parts 97 previously a, covered on the podcast sure sure uh jackie brown a classic my number one yeah um maybe my one of my, in the handful of movies i consider my favorite of all time taste of cherry of course uh face off lost highway face off, face off office killer end of evangelion princess mononoke the list goes on and on harry as good as it of gets course, boogie nights boogie pure. nights but the uh, the one I want to talk about is one I just watched for the first time recently. My first five star movie of twenty twenty three, Titanic. Ooh! I, I caught it for the the anniversary. I took the misses. Um, we we saw it, and I was blown away. I expected to like it. Uh, years years ago, I was kind of anti Cameron, and I thought uh, Titanic always looked really. Uh, Sappy. It's for girls. Yeah, no, no I, I was. I wouldn't go that far. But in it looked. Youth. What? I was. I also had the similar experience of being anti camera yeah, in I, my I, youth. I, I thought he was arrogant and like just a full of shit. And then I got older, and what I 
perceived as arrogance is now something very endearing to me. Like now when I hear him like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, he says all this, you know, self-righteous shit. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude, you're, you're the king. Um, but yeah, Titanic fucking blew me away because it's kind of a hangout film. You're just hanging out with these young lovers mm-hmm. on the boat and he's teaching her how to loogie all like all these great little beats. It's sexy. It's, it's, it's funny. It's intentionally funny mm-hmm. and sometimes not intentionally funny, but who cares? You know, it makes you laugh. Um, but what really blew me away is, so the movie's going on and they hit the iceberg and I'm thinking like, okay, I guess we're, we're nearing the end of the movie, but then I also check my watch and I, and I see we've only, uh, the movie's only been playing for like two hours which means there's an hour left. I was like, how is there an hour left? Then the fucking, the fucking uh, guy goes to the, the captain. He goes, we just hit, hit, hit the iceberg. It will take an hour before we sink. <laughs> and, and that's fucking God level shit. Cause he's telling you, yeah, there's an hour left and we're going to see this boat sink that entire hour. And I, and I just thought that was incredible. There was a, a fun fact that, Cameron did for the movie. James Cameron purposely made the Titanic run for two hours and 40 minutes because it's the exact <laughs> amount of time it took for the real ship to sink. And the iceberg scene lasts 37 seconds in the movie, also mirroring the real event. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, he's a freak. He also <laughs> apparently, I guess, got all like the specific China. Like, yeah, he, he loved that boat, man. Rest in peace to the Titanic, man. Sorry for the life's lost there. <laughs> Rob keeps knocking over the, the yeah. headphone amp. I'm too juiced up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, 97, pretty good year. You know, freaking, uh, you know, Bulls beat the Jazz in the finals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so looking at these box scores, it's like 73 to 78. God. <laughs> They really were uh, not shooting threes back then. Do you want me to? Do you want me to talk a? a since we're, we've talked about stats too much, you could cut this out if you think it's distasteful. But, yeah. Um, do you remember uh, when I discovered the wheelchair basketball stats? Yes. <laughs> if it, look, like, the league is just an interesting statistical anomaly. Yeah, That's yeah, all. yeah. Look up, look up those stats if you're a stats guy. And we're back on extended clip. We're moving forward to timeline B. The year is 1998. Oh, how many options do we have at the cinema? So many. But today we are wandering into the Art House Theater to see the new film by Theo Angelopoulos. Now, this is a director who, by all accounts, should have like a really high stature, kind of. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at the amount of films he makes, you look at the acclaim that each one receives the festival acclaim, the essays that were written, you know, the uh, the heavy hitter critics that, you know, write the books and everything. They all like him. Uh, he's not really huge, though. And it seems to be a matter of home video distribution, yep. streaming distribution, stuff like that, uh, because it's one that's just like you never really hear people talk about him. 
this was, in fact, my first film by Theo Angelopoulos, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, Rob, what, what's what's the skinny on this fella from Greece? What? <laughs> I I don't know if I know enough to give you the skinny on him, but I can then talk. What's the skinny on this movie? Well, I could tell you a little bit about my relationship with him and his work. In sure. This film. Um, so there are certain people in my life who I I consider. When they tell me to watch something, I sit my white ass down and I listen. Um, and uh, in a, there was a certain uh, point in my life, uh, I think it was 2018, where I was really hitting my peak of uh, slow cinema loving mm-hmm. shit. Um, Tarkovsky in, in like 2015, 2016 kind of got me started on it. And then later on, I got to the, the real slow motherfuckers, got to the Bellatars. Mm-hmm. Got to the Apeach Pongs, um, and then I got to uh, Theo Angelopoulos, and the the first one I think I watched was a uh, Landscape in the Mist, which is really great, and uh, I watched Ulysses Gaze, which is incredible, but also it's a tough film. Like I I think it's a masterpiece, and I barely know what it's about. Um, and then this one w- was the one, like, just based on its description, seemed like the most me of those films, of his films. So I had a, I start, I restarted doing the Netflix DVD rental service, and then I, I rented this movie and Damnation by Bellatar, and then I reported both movies as lost, so I could keep them nice. forever, and then I can <laughs> and then I, and then I canceled my Netflix uh, DVD uh, mail service. Uh, this is Netflix. You are under arrest. <laughs> Shit! <laughs> Damn, dude. Hollywood's <laughs> listening to us. They got they got the shooters out. Put the discs where we could see them. Hey, I paid for it. I paid for it. <laughs> I paid for it for a lower price than I probably would have. Oh, but Rob, you you started off by saying yeah. that. Sorry, to yeah, cut yeah, you yeah. Off no, there. no, no. Because I wanted to bring it back to this. You started off by saying that there's someone who, when they told you to watch movies, you would sit your white ass down and listen. Yeah, yeah. Who was it that told you to watch Theo Angelopoulos? Uh, my buddy from high school. He's not in the film Twitter mm-hmm. uh, scene at all. Uh, my buddy Elijah. Uh, shout out to Elijah Brooks. And shout out to your friend Elijah. And, uh, and John Macris. Who, oh, well, John, we love John, John Macris. John Macris, who, who, uh, a friend from college, who was like one of those guys. He was the guy. He was the movie god. Like, just the king of uh, academia, the film, mm-hmm. especially at Chapman, because most people in the film studies department were uh, scrubs. And he'd be that guy who'd be like, yeah, you, you got to check these people out. He'd be the guy who I'd ask for torrents before, like, I knew what where to find the good shit. Before you started asking me. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then and Whoa. now I don't talk to John anymore. No. Whoa. <laughs> no, uh, John Macris was a uh I m- I met him at screening of Carlito's with Way me. with oh, Rob yeah. and Malcolm and David and mm-hmm. then we did an episode on it. Yeah. Well, Rob wasn't there. For I the wasn't episode. there for that. Yeah. Um, but Neither yeah. Was David. So this <laughs> is me and you. <laughs> well, so, JT was there. For and, the and, yeah. and this movie, Palm Door winner, didn't oh, did, nice. we didn't mention that won the Palm Door in '98. And the thing about uh, Anglopolis, before we talk about the actual movie itself, he's one of those guys. Uh, I I said in the beginning of the episode about how like I I kind of want to soak in these films. And I've been waiting, being in L.A., I've been waiting for a fucking retrospective of it, of him. And it finally happened 
this uh, in 2022, but it was during October mm. when I was in full Halloween mindset mode, <laughs> and I could not be caught dead going to the rep house because I was I was going spooky, spooky mode. Look, well, you know. You say that somewhat jokingly. No, and I'm, you serious. Also are I'm serious. I'm completely serious. So maybe the listener and thinks I you're hated, saying somewhat jokingly. I hated myself for it because I was like, I've no, literally but- been waiting years for this guy's films to come to L.A. And they played all of them. And I was like, I got to watch uh, whatever bullshit horror movie I <laughs> But here's the thing. When you get really into the Halloween mindset, yes. uh, you are on a one-track mind. And this is... It's not just slow, it's a difficult style of film to watch. And Uh it is a film that you have to be in the right headspace to watch. Speaking of, JT, I'm going to be a snitch. I saw that you logged this film twice on Letterboxd, once without a rating, second time with a rating that we'll talk about later. Was this the case or were you? was the first viewing not enough for you? Because when I watched it, the first like 30 minutes, I was like, am I in the right headspace? I took a break. And I restarted it as well because I just when wasn't you, in the right headspace. I'm I'm very glad you snitched on me because regardless, I was going to bring it up. Uh, yeah, no, I like the first time I watched it, I was just like definitely not in the right headspace. Um, there are things like just like from the description alone, because it's like, I don't know. I feel like when I was a younger cinephile, I would go into like an art house film like generally like enthusiastic because I hadn't like uh, seen many and like I, I don't know I feel like now my taste is a little bit more refined in terms of like art house stuff and like also like vulgar trash stuff and like I go into like something that is going the art house mode a little bit more like cynically and like being like uh, I like is this really like I don't know, like, is this worth the hype, so to speak? And I I don't think I was going, like, I definitely had a little bit of that where it's like, this is a big thing. But then I was also just like, I don't know, I could tell right away I was not in the mood for it and zoning out. And just, like, reading the summary and, like, exposing some things. Like, there are things I, like, absolutely hate, like, just, or just, like, uh, like, poetry immigrant children uh, <laughs> like just like like things in an art movie that are like uh red flat or red, like things yeah. that like when like done poorly like can be just like the most like just uh I, I don't know bullshit stuff and i was watching the movie and i was kind of in a zone out headspace and i was just like i i'm just like i i'm seeing this and i'm not like it's not like not clicking, but not like clicking in a way where it's just like, oh, I don't like, I'm not vibing with this. It's just like, I'm not paying enough attention and, and like fully soaking in the experiential element, especially with like a lot of the like long takes and like floating in between like different eras of time and just the way it was doing that. I, re- I was like, catching all these like very sophisticated things and things that I was like, oh, okay, like I um, will probably, I, I don't know, things that I would enjoy if I was paying attention. I was like, I'm just not in the right mood to watch this. I like finished the whole thing uh, and got through like, I don't know, just got through a watch to like sort of have it done. But I was like, I, I don't know. It's one of those things. 
especially we have we have sweet brother Rob coming here, coming to grace the podcast. And it's just <laughs> like I can't like just bullshit this and like not like sort of half heartedly vibe with the movie. And like I was like, I need to like actually like see it fit. And I was like, I'm going to do a rewatch because I was just not in the right space for this. Um, and it just made everything like fall into place. Like it would just by paying attention, like you're able to like, and like sort of see the full artistry there of like some of the long takes unfolding and just getting more of like, I don't want to say like details of the story, but details of the world that he's exploring and yeah i don't know it just i don't know it's an amazing movie and i was like that was my initial suspicion but i was like i need to watch this more intently to i don't know to actually appreciate it rob sorry you looked like you were ready to jump in for a while no 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 i was just just listening intently okay okay just like you have to do to you know watch this movie exactly watch and listen with intent you know the thing is it's like the kind of thing where you might be at a distance and then not realize that or realize that you're not that into it but the way of getting into it for me at least it brought me back to the discovery of the other kind of legends of slow camera movement and use of off-screen space not even the slow cinema guys but just like the old school art house guys like Mizuguchi, Tarkovsky, Antonioni uh, and just like really just like the almost you can do that uh, like you you could just like do a scene like that like no just like that's why I went to art house movies at first because yeah. I liked the style that I saw in certain genre movies and uh, dramas even. And I knew that I just had to watch art house movies. I had to check them out at least. And you know, people like Tarkovsky and Godard, like I was just like all over the place. Like, Oh my God, you could do a scene like that. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And Angelopoulos kind of like brought that back to me. There, there, there are such little small things in the way that he stages that bring out the dramatic impact of the scene in such kind of profound ways. And there's some stuff that maybe thematically I don't really get. Like I maybe, you know, the uh, Greek and Albanian uh, stuff, like why the Albanian border looks like the way a concentration camp looks like in a movie. Uh, Like, I don't really understand that, but it's an incredibly impactful image, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, but then just like the very human stuff of this and about death and about, you know, the unfinished, uh, nature of so much of life and the fear of the unfinished. And as the lead character says, you know, leaving things as drafts, uh, that is a very, you know, almost profoundly impactful thing for me. Someone who's abandoned so many things, (laughs) whether they're scripts or, you know, human relationships friendships and things like that or jobs uh things that i feel like i didn't finish right um i don't know i it spoke to me in a very uh in a way that i didn't think it was going to and i thought that was very beautiful and it's just uh yeah the cam the slow camera movement and the staging is just the use of off-screen space it's incredible the guy the guy's a master it's evident from one movie well, so uh, you got anything? Else? Okay, so well, JT, your 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 instinct is was correct because like a movie like this, people think 
part of the issue I have with the whole film theory academia world is I think they focus too much on intellectualizing things. And a movie like this, if you're watching it purely being like, what should I think here? Like, I know this is smart, but like doing all this analytical shit, yeah, you're going to get something out of it, but there's a whole nother level uh, of the experience. And it it goes back to the Kiristami thing of movies that put you to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, When when you're experiencing something and uh, you don't know what's going on inside you, but... you get to a state where you feel like you're almost dreaming and maybe you are falling asleep. But, but even, even if that's the case, if you're watching a movie and you're kind of falling asleep while watching it, uh, and you're trying to fight it cause you're enjoying the film, you start to see like the images morph. Like it, it's a really crazy thing. And, and if you, if you watch it the first time, not kind of vibing with it and decide I need to give it another chance so I can really soak in with it. That's that's the perfect way to experience a movie like this. There's a moment, I feel like for me particularly, where it clicked, where it's just like... I, well, one, I was, all, I was thinking about like just the idea of movie watch... This is a sort of so, like stupider side note, but like I was thinking a lot about like movie watching tips sort of like Malcolm had said at one point to get closer to the screen Um, (laughs) and uh, just like sometimes like it is simple things like that like where it's just like watch more intently and that really like clicked with me when like I was uh, like there's a moment where Bruno Gons I think he's going to uh, the bus where he's uh, initially going to like uh, take the boy back, um, but it's like somewhere around that point he like goes off to talk to someone like by there, um, and they're like sort of parked off from like a road or a highway or whatever, and you don't hear them, you don't hear their conversation. You can like surmise like what the gist of it is, but you just sort of hear the sound of just the cars rushing by and it's just like i don't know the experience of that and like i think it heavily relates to what eddie is saying about like when you first like are experiencing like this type of movie where it's just like they can they can do something like that it was like oh yeah like obviously there are other filmmakers who sort of like allied that uh narrative detail um in movies but it's hard to do it well and it is like done like the way he's sort of weaving in and out of like time frames and like memory with it it's just i don't know it's powerful and masterful and you can just like i don't know just by being into it you can like you can see that yeah you got you have to buy in to this movie of course i mean like every movie i guess but it's like mm-hmm. you know uh you know you guys are talking about struggling to get into this movie it you know i i didn't quite restart it but like you know you do kind of pick up or you're like okay i have to watch this in a certain way you know what i mean to really dig into this and i i you know i kind of uh attached you know just to maybe give a quick brief down of what the movie is it's about this poet He's got this unfinished work or whatever, and he knows he's about to die. And he's kind of 
we kind of see his last day on earth right and along the way he kind of befriends this uh not befriends he sees like kind of this criminal boy who's running around on the streets he kind of you know uh i wouldn't call him a criminal but he's doing he's a refugee refugee. who's doing the he's doing the squeegee side hustle he's thugging all right no No, um he's a little thug and he's albanian he's he's a little thug and he needs to get back off the streets so i can walk around um no Uh, no no it's he, he yeah he sees uh, you know, a kid down on his luck doing some stuff that, you know, maybe isn't quite safe. And he, you know, kind of, uh, you know, he attaches himself to this boy. And we kind of get a familiar plot line here, kind of like stuff of like, you know, uh, a grown man and a, a child kind of going on an adventure a la Eastwood. Well, really, really quick. man. Really quick. He does world. the most pimp thing he could do, right? Because he stopped at a light and the kid is doing the squeegee thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, he's kind of annoyed because it's not the most ex- interesting thing to happen to you. And then he sees the cops are coming to arrest these kids, opens the door, he's like, kid, get the fuck in. Yeah. That's a homie, dude. Yeah, That's yeah. a real one. And then this kid ends up becoming his little buddy. Come with right. me if you want yeah, to live. Yeah, straight up. He does the T2, dude. Uh, anyway, Malcolm, I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. No, I just thought that was important because it establishes that he is, in fact, a real one. No, but, it's also funny that you have that beat and you we say it's like the T2 moment. It's like movies like this often do have more of a straightforward narrative arc when you really sparse it down to a few plot points. And I feel like that's one of the great ones to relate it back to like a more classical storytelling mode to kind of like get the movie more, you know, like I feel like most of the most Tarkovsky movies, most Bergman movies, people like this, it's like they might intertwine flashbacks and dreams and stuff like that more often. But for the most part, other than the kind of structuralists and people who are really doing like weird chapter, weird stuff, uh, you usually find three acts and a few more key plot points that you can kind of hinge yourself on if you come from that kind of screenwriting background, at least. No, total. I mean, a lot of the stuff that's called slow cinema, I thought this kind of, you know, kind of reached on a, you know, there might be some stuff, political stuff, et cetera, that we mentioned earlier that I might be missing, but like it is, it is very traditional, you know, and how it sets up its thing and kind of like, I don't know, like the slowness of the movie or, or whatever, I feel like, in, you know, sometimes, I don't know, another slow cinema, it's kind of more, and there are the details here, but it's like, I, more than anything, I feel the impact of, like, this guy about to die and, you know, the regret over his head, you know what I mean? I feel that so deeply that it, it kind of, it, it guides me through all these scenes in a way that, like, I don't know, maybe something like Tropical Malady, second half there, I'm a little, it's a little bit more abstract, but it's like, yeah. this. while there might be some things that, I don't get it's it's I I don't really think of this as like kind of abstract and it does hit you kind of on an emotional level it has different ways of doing it but kind of in a way a a movie would emotionally hit you would and I I, I value that um just taking a quick transition from talking about the plot I want to get into a little bit uh the technical aspect of this film because uh we we mentioned that he uses long takes, but he uses them in what I think to be the the most challenging way. So if you think about it, there are, I guess, three kinds of long takes. There might be a fourth somewhere, but 
the first, the most obvious one is like the the following shot, the mm-hmm. Scorsese, the PTA boogie nights. We're going in the club. We see everything going on. The tracking shot. Yeah. Um. Then there's the static shot, which is just the camera just fixed in a spot. That's most kinda, slow cinema. Most the the Ackerman Jean Dielman type of thing, but Ozu. Ozu, yeah. But then, but then there's this third one. Which is and the the way I can only think of talking about it is he's he's doing his editing within the camera because he doesn't need to cut. He can get to the next shot what with moving the camera, mm-hmm. which is so incredible because I think we take um, we take for granted how truly hard it is to frame a a, a beautiful shot Mm -hmm. and then you'll watch like a john ford movie and he's just the master of framing framing things yeah and it's like boom one after another one after another just these painting like Mm -hmm. images and then but then you'll like personally i'll be in a place where where i see something beautiful and i'm like oh i want to take a picture of this and it just doesn't look that good. Yeah, and like it, it is hard to frame a shot. It, it it takes so much thinking, and doing that multiple times in one take, starting the camera here, this painting like shot, and then instead of cutting to the next painting like shot, moving it. Well, that, it's creating that's incredible. More of, it's creating more of a three dimensional composition. I yeah. think a lot of his long takes in this the and when we say long takes they're always using a slow camera movement whether it's a dolly or a you know slide even you know that a slide can last fucking a minute in this probably like they're they're milking the the camera movement for as slow as you can get there's a lot of zooms that are incredible like the opening uh where you have those the the kids you know running into the ocean at the at his old beach house uh, and it like zoom it first tracks in and then switches to a zoom a la the last shot of Antonioni's the passenger uh, or I guess the penultimate shot rather uh, and then you're just like zooming in through that canopy kind of mm-hmm. going into the ocean as in voiceover over the opening credits uh, you hear him say that like uh, my grandfather said that time is a child that plays dice on the shore and you just know that you're getting into this thing where if you can't feel kind of hypnotized by that camera style you're not going to be in for it but if you can you're in for just like amazing cinema that's I mean, like it, it's it's so like alluring it's like the 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 slow camera movement is so hypnotic and uh it just really reels you in especially with the way that he moves the camera and shows off the entire world around him that he's built through set design and just also real location work and everything like that and uh also it's realism versus dreams too you know you have a camera movement that moves you from the present day to a flashback and it's just like you know, it all exists within the same world, of course, because this is a film about a man reflecting upon his life before death, a la Wild Strawberries or any of those movies. Uh, so I just think that, like, this is kind of one of the ultimate camera movement movies when you think about it like that. And uh, really recall that that third movement that you're talking about where you're kind of showing everything and using that as editing. There are other people who do it 
in very different ways. Like the only person that I think right off top does that because they've said it as such mm. is Hong Sang Soo. Okay. Who uses yeah. a long take style and then uses the pan and the zoom mm. to replace cutting. Uh, and like that is just awesome in its own right, but it's a completely different yeah. thing. It's the locked down camera yeah. using uh, pan and zoom as editing. Basically, this is its own thing that obviously, you know, there's other directors that do it with editing, whether it's Malik or uh, Malik, uh, but Malik, Malik doesn't do this. He, no, he that's what I'm saying. Yeah, is yeah. It, it, they use people like Altman and Malik yeah, yeah. use editing sure. to combine a bunch of shots yeah. like this. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, with the the free floating, uh, creeping around crazy camera movement sure. style. Uh, but he is in the class of people like yeah, Mizuguchi, Tarkovsky, Antonioni, who are using slow camera yeah, movement. Yeah. And off-screen space to create a real world that you live in the mise en scene. Yeah, yeah. the The people who I always think of in this similar uh, category is like Bellatar and Bellatar, a, of a, course, Apichapong, yeah, uh, uh, Jiajanka. Yeah. If that's the right pronunciation, don't kill me. Um, We've swung all over yeah, the place yeah. on that guy's name. Yeah, yeah. We know we like his movies a hell of a lot. Yeah. You know? Hell yeah, <laughs> respect to that. But yeah, those are and and all those guys that we've listed listed they're the gods they're the yeah. fucking gods and and to me like the only people that 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 do that style all legends i can't think of a bad example of someone doing that mm-hmm. it's There's, only someone who's got there has the fucking to be bad imitators right i, I don't we know i don't think i don't think yeah. they, i don't <laughs> think well maybe but i don't think those those people have the fucking the for lack of a better term, the balls to do that shit. Yeah, and I think there's probably, there's people who do it and fall on their faces, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's the people who can accomplish that style. Sure, yeah. They are all gods. And it's it's funny because it's, yeah, it's such a distinct style from other ways that people become great directors whose visual style, you know, implements a, a itself upon your brain, whether it's Brisson, who has a very individualist style, or, you know, Tony Scott, or a, a, anyone across the spectrum. Uh, they're all kind of like, they might have very individualist styles, but they all fit into certain camps, kind of. Yeah. And I feel like this camp of really the the style of just being a camera movement person, mm-hmm. uh, a camera movement and off-screen space director. Uh, it's it's a big, uh, it's it's a lot to put on your back, but I think he accomplishes it wonderfully. Yeah, and I can't I can't speak to you know the style of the rest of his movie, but like just this one specifically, kind of you know the stuff you're talking about as you know we see the reframing process, mm-hmm. you know on screen, you know we don't cut away, kind of like that persistence of that. Slash, you know, all the kind of uh, dream like aspects, whether it be, you know, him remembering things or just kind of like the way he saunters around, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's I think it really adds to those effects, this visual style of like uh, of it being just super hypnotic, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I'm trying to think of a yeah. sports comp for this type of director. Uh, in the <laughs> old days, it would be a five tool player in baseball, Knuckle but ball. that's kind of gone away. Knuckleball it's, thrower. It's, it's like in basketball, like those just like you know the fucking apex forwards who dominate the league, like the the you know Jason Tatum, Giannis, yeah, uh, Kevin Durant, etc., LeBron, who are just like this style of play relies on you having to be 
one of the best uh, at your skill set of all time, basically, if you want to actually play this style of ball, you know, yeah. like it's like you kind of have to bring a lot to the fucking table and the movie can't be empty either. And I totally. think that the the drama and the very universal thematics of this movie carry so much weight. I mean, think about the scene and we're not going to go step by step to this movie, uh, but like think about the scene pretty late in the movie where the young kid uh they're, they're mourning for another kid salim salim you know was found in the hospital he's dead and you get a really harsh scene of him in like the morgue at the hospital with his with his old buddy but then you have probably my favorite part of the whole movie it's like a four minute scene of it's like two shots the first one is the camera pulling back and you have all these groups of kids on these ledges high up, you know, uh, in this really dark, you know, kind of industrial atmosphere. And it keeps pulling back and there's layer and layer after like bridge, uh, layer and layer, sorry, layer after layer of like these like bridges, these overlooks that these kids are sitting on uh, watching. Uh, And then it cuts to them all kind of, you know, walking up to where they're going to, you know, burn something to commemorate him. And you get a, you know, the camera slowly moves in from that beautiful, stark, really, really hauntingly sad composition of all of them basically in shadow to by the time uh, the fire is burning and you're moved into the close up on the kid. It's, you know, he's, you know, crying, of course, but uh, it's just such a powerful sequence that relies so much on that camera movement style to like, there's really no other way you can get that much impact out of a scene of a bunch of kids mourning another dead kid. Like there's a billion ways to do that wrong, a hundred ways to do it. Okay. And this way to do it. Perfect. You know? Yeah. Well, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like you talking about the imagery of like the kids kind of hanging on where we're like kind of just above the yeah. thing but you know before oh, the fence the on fence. the border and, and yeah well yeah well, that just, is just haunting. just but yeah just kind of like the and there's there's like a scene another scene where there's like you see kids like hanging around on a fence right mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. like you know there and just that that visual motif is so i don't know it's it's just very interesting it kind of it 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 uh re or fuck I'm, I'm getting scrambled here but like it, it really hammers home kind of that aspect of you know kind of uh the solitude and individuality of kind of this man walking you know around and and uh mm. kind of uh soaking in you know the last day of his life or whatever and you know even though he's with the kid it's like it is kind of like he kind of walks through like he's like the only like you know it's it, he's very detached from how he views things. It's almost like he's in the center and the world's like around him, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean the way he stumbles into the wedding. Exactly. In the street yeah, is ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I, I think that aspect is, you know, kind of interesting. It's not even something that's hammered home, um, you know, crazily, but like just kind of like this aspect of, of him kind of, uh, just like detaching himself from society already and kind of like viewing it from, from a distance almost. And I, I think is a is is a is a great addition, you know, to this movie. I um I I mentioned John Ford earlier, but but another thing I was thinking about was that now the infamous uh, uh, Horizon 
uh, comment he had to Spielberg. To, the in, Well, now infamous with the Eddie's favorite movie, The Fablemans. Um, <laughs> if the horizon is at the, the bottom of the frame, it's interesting. If it's at the top, it's interesting. If it's in the middle, it's boring as shit. Uh, something really cool. There's one moment of the film that that like kind of blew me away. Uh, so so when he's in his like either flashbacks or dream sequence, uh, the sun is out. Uh, it's a much brighter film. But then when he's in in reality, uh, it's like it's gloomy. It's overcast and. Because Tarkov's or not Tarkov, sorry, Inglopolis is a big waterhead. He he loves shooting water. In in these moments in the present tense, the water is the same color as the sky, and you can't really see the horizon. The only thing indicating that it's there is in the background of one shot. You can see either tugboats or what whatever kind of industrial type of a boat. They're 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 just riding along the side, and because it's hard to differentiate between the sky and the and the water, it looks like they're just floating in space, and that is re- it, it, the the way it happens on screen is just so cool. And also, I mean, it ties right in thematically to the movie Eternity in a Day, referring to the you know end of the movie. That's uh, how long his next day sure. is going to last. And, you know, we, we kind of see this. It's it's framed at first as, oh, it's his last day before he has to go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, we know right away. It's yeah, his yeah. last day on yeah. Earth. It's like five minutes in. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I think things like that work really well because it's like, you know, obviously we've talked on this podcast about people really like Angelopoulos and like Tarkovsky and other art house filmmakers, very uh, uh, symbol-heavy art house filmmakers using water as like this everlasting sign of life and rebirth and everything like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and the, the fact that the water and the sky are just, you know, together and there is no horizon in this kind of infinity aspect mm-hmm. that brings it to uh, the screen. It's like he, it's a guy who's accepted his fate, you sure. know, it, it's or not he's that, trying to, he's trying to accept his fate. But I think the film accepts it for him. Yeah. I think I think that's what I'm trying to say. Is like if the film was his point of view, then he had accepted it because the 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 world that it sets it up around him really feels very purgatory like. No, yeah, it's kind of something I wrote down. It's like all the stark backdrops, very like mm-hmm. kind of like solid one. Whether it's you know the snow or the fog or the sea, it's like kind of like. A lot of, you know, the Bruno Gans is kind of framed by kind of like a lot of stuff that looks, you know, very like very similar, you know what I mean? And it's a it's a very, you know, it's it drives home that that feeling of, you know, being encompassed by the world. Speaking of like purgatory, like I had yeah. said before, it's really weird. This fucking like whole ecosystem of like kidnapping kids uh like selling them selling them and then like them working on the streets and stuff like that but it like also feels like all very convoluted and weird and like wild west and like uh it's it's all very like a it's a strange and broken ecosystem that feels like it's a lot of just like holding you know Mm. like a uh, a lot of holding pattern kind of stuff and like that's kind of what this movie keeps showing you is these slow sequences and these things that are just kind of like 
held off. I mean, we have that flashback during the wedding that's on the street, pretty lengthy flashback cut back. And then you're like at that wedding on the street again for quite a while. Mm. It's like things are drawn out for a reason. Uh, and I think, um, it's an interesting take on something like a purgatorial state because the flashbacks are all, you know, sun baked, except for like the tragic ones, of course. Uh, but like, you know, them being out on the boat is like incredibly ecstatic. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, and, and I love that he's able to inject those flashes of it as if, you know, life flashing before someone's eyes, of course. Um, anyone else, uh, you know what? We, we've gone for a while and we went so long in the first one. We can, yeah. we can head toward, uh, Bullets. wrapping up on this one. Rob, you brought this on. I feel like you have a lot to say that's been unsaid about eternity and a day. Is there anything you want to get off your chest about this movie before well, you give I, it a rating? I, yeah. So, um, look for me, my kind of my wheelhouse the 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 Rob Rob Franco core, if you will, any time a movie is like just about a dude walking around being goth and contemplating his existence, <laughs> that's like that's like my whole thing. It, it just it, it could be the shittiest movie ever. Well, no, it couldn't. It would have to be fire. But uh, it, like really, that that's what I connect to. Uh, especially yeah, they're they're. Especially if they're about to die, because look, I will never be able to comprehend not existing. So I'm I'm constantly in that state of just walking around being goth, and uh, I relate to it. And I that those are the films that speak to me. And uh, I I like that he has a little buddy that he's his, his that's his homie, and I like that he decides yeah he he has a daughter in the film. And you, he sees her early on, but he doesn't tell her he's about to die. He he's like, "Yeah, I'll see you next week." And I I I found that to be really powerful. And he's choosing to spend his final moments with this kid he doesn't know because it, there's something about that that's so much easier than having to burden your loved ones, and also like. It, it must suck to have to spend your final moments with your loved ones because the whole time you're going to be thinking, I won't be able to see you again. So it would be so much easier to have like a new friend, uh, almost a stranger that you could not be alone because you don't want to be alone in those moments. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't necessarily want to see the people that you're leaving behind. And also to, to that point, you know, I hate to, I've mentioned him already, but it, it kind of reminds me of Gran Torino in a sense <laughs> where like he kind of, I like that. He's not, maybe he's, a, lot he's, of Clint, he's, a yeah. lot of Clint movies have this dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. But like, he's not maybe as connected to his family as mm. he, you know, might've wanted. Like it, it's like sure. the beach house that's in his memories, right. That we keep seeing they it's, it's told at the beginning of the movie that the daughter's selling that beach house yeah. and uh, you know, kind of. Maybe, you know, it's not even like that deep, but it's just like they're just not the same type of person. They don't value the same things, you know, or whatever. And like you kind of you find you find your redemption in your life by helping out a stranger who needs it much mm -hmm. more, you know, just like in Gran Torino. And, you know, he doesn't quite give the kid um, the life lessons, you know, yeah. in this one. He kind of keeps him more <laughs> as a companion in this one. But I think I don't know. I, I I've I recognized 
that aspect, you know, just being a, a foremost Clint scholar, of course he, he popped up, but like, I don't know. I think that kind of puts an emphasis on that detachment kind of like, you know, the, I, I don't know if I, this guy might, he's like, I don't want to spend my final moments with my family because, you know, I don't know if they quite understand what I'm going through. Sure. Rating Rob and then uh, Malcolm? Five bullets totally. This is a, this is a double five for me. Five on Bambi, five on Eternity in the Day. The gunshots are flying, baby. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this four bullets, and you know, I really enjoy. I, I can't like find flaws with it or whatever. And let's remember, you know, we're all giving out fives. Four is a very good rating. Let's oh, four not, is great. No uh, complaining. Uh, uh, all right, but uh, no, yeah, I just I. Well, if five is like. Four and a half is like like an MVP level season, right? Yeah, yeah. Five is like all time best season. Four and a half is like an MVP caliber season. A four star is like all star slash all NBA. Like you're still like one of the best of the year. Like you're still killing yeah. it. Yeah, I, I no, yeah, and I just really appreciate it. And you know, maybe I felt like there's some stuff that may have flown over my head, but like you know, maybe as JT did, you know, this is something that I feel like can only get more rich with a rewatch or whatever and uh it's definitely sparked me because like i've definitely heard of this guy before but like a lot of a lot of like you know even the people people you know even the directors people hype up you know when you hear it's like art house slow it's like that's stuff i like but sometimes you could be you know somewhat you might be a little bit uh more hesitant to mm-hmm. watch that than like cobra by stallone or whatever you know something <laughs> that's just goes down the (laughs) yeah yeah that something that goes down the gullet quick so but as i found you know that voice in your head is usually wrong right it's like once you once you do sit down and watch these movies you you uh at least for me like i've gotten into them and uh, i definitely want to watch more of his work but uh jt what 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 rating do you want to give this movie and what Um, thoughts do you have that wraps up your thoughts (laughs) thanks malcolm uh um yeah, no, I'm also giving this four bullets. I feel like, for me, anytime like I'm getting into like a, I don't know, I feel like seeing like a big important director, I feel like is reducing it. But like I don't know, seeing a, a very powerful artist who's like worth his salt and is saying meaningful things, like you're sort of like feeling it out at first. And this is something I'm eager to revisit. Uh, when I see more of Angel- Angelopoulos's, uh, uh work, because I feel like it's something that, like, because I know he, like, also did, he left, like, an unfinished film as he died. Yeah. He, and, he like, died, he died tragically, and, like, he's very well could, could have still been alive today, but he got hit by a motorcycle Jesus. on set, on set of his, uh, last well his unfinished film uh in 2012 wow yeah it's really it's really tragic and i mean especially being someone with like a i don't know a smaller filmography i mean like obviously like a, a tragic death like certainly plays into that but like the notion of like leaving unfinished work whether that like artistic or personal feels like it must ring true with him and and again it's like one of those things where it's just like I'm eager to revisit it after having seen more of his work, and I feel like that will give a, a, a richer understanding. But I, 
I'm glad you brought both of these films to the pod, Rob. I feel like they're like the perfect pairing. This is like the adult version of sort of like the lessons that Bambi has to give. Yeah. <laughs> of like accepting like life and death and like, um, I don't know. Eddie mentioned earlier about like the film sort of accepting it for him. But I do think like, especially with the like floating camera style and just like the landscapes captured here. It's just like the world's indifference feels like it's sort of like, like it feels like a part of it where it's just like, you may have these powerful existential questions, but everything is already settled for you um, in a way. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's meshing together. Like, personal things with like political stuff again that like maybe uh like beyond beyond our comprehension or like knowledge of that particular situation in greece but these types of like art house movies really work because there is that intense specificity there but there's also just like the universal human qualities uh, that they're speaking to. And I mean, just knowing like the bare minimum about Greece, like just their current economic situation of like mostly people being broke and kind of like chilling in that state, this movie like feels apt to that. And also like Greece feels like the perfect place for like the slow cinema. Like, especially like every time I watch a Psy movie, I'm like, how does he find like the most perfect decayed buildings. And this is another one of those movies where it's just like, you're just granted access into buildings that have rotted in just like the most beautiful ways. And I mean, Greece in general, because of the history that exists in that country, just like there's so much powerful decay there. And uh, yeah, no, this is a great time. I'm also going to go four bullets on this one. I love this film and I'd love to see more Anglopolis. Uh, I don't really, you know, I feel like I've talked enough on this one. I feel like we've, we've also done quite a marathon of an episode over two hours already. Uh, the email is empty this week. The only thing Damn. we got in there is like a uh, scared him off. Fucking Shake Shack. We got your order. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> looks like I accidentally signed up for Shake Shack's app on the extended clip email. You're doing that thing where you're trying to get a deal with a new email. It's like, "All right, let me get the 15% off on the extended clip Gmail." You know? Yeah. I tell you what, man. That Shake Shack burger the other night did not sit well with me. Oh no. <laughs> and the thing is, I'm a fan too, but that, that time it did not sit well with me. Food is it's a. It's <laughs> I don't a, know why I'm talking yeah. about my bowel issues. Food, <laughs> food could be a, food, food could be you know it's it's a dangerous little thing. You never know how it might affect you at any given time. I'll probably cut that out. Rob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast once again. This was fantastic. Uh, is there anything that you would like to tell the people? Anything you'd like to promote? Anything else you want to say on mic that is not. Baba Booey. Yeah, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna hit you with the Baba Booey. Uh, well, as always, thank you, boys, for having me. You guys are some of my favorite people I know. Aww. It's always a pleasure. You know, most times I go on a podcast, it feels like, oh, I got to do this. But I've I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to promote. Uh, I I love you all, every person listening. 
my haters, my fans. I want to just promote <laughs> acceptance, forgiveness, and love. Here we go. And here's wow. to 50 more episodes of Rob on Extended. <laughs> Hopefully the next time will be the husband's episode where we're oh, all yeah. bombed. <laughs> Even Ed, cool. Big Eddie. I'm getting him to <laughs> fucking trashed. I don't know about that. That's a, that's <laughs> a, big, that's a big you know accomplishment for those listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a laugh. Uh, <laughs> Getting maniacal uh, at that. Yeah, bye. Okay, bye. 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 bye.